Well, hey, we're going to jump right into the word. I hope you're having a great day. I hope you came prepared to receive from God today. I am thrilled, absolutely thrilled about the word today. How many of you have been here from the start of this series that we're on right now? Anybody? Good. Quite a few of you. As you guys know, Pastor Zach kicked off this brand new series called Standing Strong. He talked a lot about Daniel and his three friends and how they were able to consecrate themselves and really separate themselves even in the midst of a worldly culture in Babylon. They, were, they chose to do things like not eat the king's delicacies. They chose to be different and God honored them for that. And as you guys know, they were promoted and a lot of amazing things took place because of them being so willing to set themselves apart. Listen, if you didn't get a chance to hear that message, I want to encourage you, jump online, listen to or watch it even, because these messages that are being brought, our pastors and our teaching team are taking time to pray. And really, we believe that these are the words that the Lord is speaking to us today. Can somebody say amen to that? So not only for you to be a part and just keep up with what's going on at Grace Covenant, but so that you can be blessed and that your faith can be built as well. Well, then last week, Pastor Farrell taught about the three Hebrew boys who were in the fiery furnace. And oh, man, I don't know if you were there for that one, but that one, I was sitting somewhere in this area and I just thought that is so good. He taught us about the fact that God is with us even through the hard stuff. Can somebody say amen to that? Like, it's really good to know that we have a God who's not sitting back like, man, I really hope you make it through that. Like, that's tough. Like he is right there in the midst with us. And it's so comforting to know that sometimes he delivers us out of the fire, but sometimes he's just right there with us. So I encourage you again, jump on and listen to that. Now, as I was preparing for today, I was looking through the notes and things and I thought, man, Pastor Zach got to teach about consecration and setting yourself apart for God. And Pastor Pharaoh got to teach about the fiery furnace. And man, that, that can preach. And then I looked at my notes and I thought, oh, I see what this is all about. Okay. <laughs> So you guys don't know this yet, but I today get to teach you, teach us about pride. Somebody say amen to that, right? Come on. <laughs> today we're going to talk about pride. We're going to continue on in our series in Daniel. And let me tell you, as I was preparing, I had a couple of times I had to just push my computer away, push my Bible away and just say, oh, goodness, Lord, I hear you. You're speaking to me. You're speaking to me, and I believe he's going to speak to every single one of us. So this is what I want to do. I want us to pray, and as always, it's become kind of a custom with me here. I'd love to ask us to do this. Let, let, let me not pray alone, but as I pray, you pray too, because you know your heart just as God does. And there's things inside of you that I believe the Lord wants to speak to today so that we can be the people he created us to be. Amen? Let's bow our heads all over this place, and let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to come to your word. We humble ourselves before you. Lord, we know with an issue of pride, the question is not if we've ever dealt with it, it's how many times, how often, when, all those things. So Lord, we're asking today that in humility, we will receive what you share with us. And even by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would sharpen us and help us point out areas that we need to confess and forsake so that we can find your mercy. So we open our hearts to you today in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if I had an opportunity to title this message, I would title this message something along the lines of the price of pride, the price of pride. I don't know about you, but I've seen in my own life, pride always costs me something. And usually it's, it costs in relationships. Pride is a silent killer that is extremely, extremely deceptive. But if we want to be people who stand strong, like we've been learning, we have to learn to be people who stay humble because pride can deceive us. And it can cause us to live a self-dependent life rather than a God-dependent life. How many of you know this? Uh, I've, I've noticed this. Pride seems to be the root of pretty much every sin. 
Because somehow pride tells us that we know what's best and that we can make decisions or we know better than God knows. In fact, when I was studying, I kept thinking back to uh, the story of the Garden of Eden in the fall. You guys know that God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave them every single, the freedom to eat any other tree. Just don't mess with that one. And just like little kids, like we, <laughs> how many of you have children? Anybody at all? Isn't it interesting that when you tell your kids, hey, you, don't mess with this. Like you can mess with all this. Like my family, you guys know this. We love Legos. That's the season that we're in. So daddy's Legos are in a special spot. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> daddy's Legos are really in a special spot. And I tell my kids, I say, listen, even when your friends come over, don't touch my Legos. Don't do that. Don't do that. Say a little nicer than that, but I mean it. Don't touch them, right? Now, the truth of the matter is, though, they, they recognize that those are daddy's Legos. Like, we, we, don't, we don't mess with those things. But when you tell kids that there's something inside, even if you tell adult stuff like that, there's something inside. I have friends that are like that. You say, hey, man, you can do anything, but don't mess with this. What, this? <laughs> this one here you don't want me to mess with? And it's like, come on, what are you doing? Well, listen, Adam and Eve are in the garden. God tells them you can eat of any tree. Just do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent comes and he starts asking the why questions. Why not? And I'm paraphrasing here, of course. Why can't you eat of this tree? Why? What's the problem? Oh, God said not to do it. Listen, let me tell you what God knows. Let me tell you why God is. God is trying to limit you. He doesn't want you to be like him. You know, God's got an ego problem. He doesn't want you to be like him. So just go on and eat some of it. Well, you guys know the story. They eat of it and their eyes are open, all of that stuff. But I was thinking about this. Eve first took this fruit. And as she's looking at it, what came to my mind when I, as I'm reading this, because I don't know about you, but when I read the scripture, I don't just read it plain. I try to imagine what it was like. Like, what would I do in that situation? She's looking at this fruit, and what came back to my mind is this. She's dealing with, listen to this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She's wrestling with it enough to say, huh, it looks good to me, and I mean, I want to be wise like God, so yeah, maybe, maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, I'll take that. She eats it. She gives it to her husband as well. He eats it. Both of their eyes are open and we know what happens from then. Listen, pride is so deceptive. It sneaks in there. And if we're not careful, we think we know what's best when in reality, God knows what's best. Can I say that again? In reality, God knows what's best. But we got to be people who don't allow ourselves to just fall victim to the sneaky and deceptive pride. We have to be those who trust that God knows what's best. Now check this out. The issue of human pride, right? Our, our, our human pride, our arrogance, or we could say this, self-sufficiency has never loomed larger than it does today. I, I was doing some, some, just some reading online and, and check this out. Do you know that people can purchase, well, they're trying to make them available for purchase, custom babies, like designer babies, like, have you ever heard of a designer bag or a designer jacket? I mean, maybe designer shoes, right? Like, you want them to be a certain way by certain designers. They're made exactly to your liking. Listen, they're literally trying to manipulate DNA to where parents can then go in and order exactly what they want in their children. You guys know if you turn the news on at all, just social media at all, you know, right now people have the ability to choose what gender they want to be. We're actually told no matter what, whatever, if you have enough money, you can do whatever you want. Listen, the world is constantly trying to push us to self-dependence and self-sufficiency. You can have it if you want it. Just cough up the money or you're good enough. Go get it. Just do this or do that. Here's the problem, though. That is at constant tension with what the word of God tells us. 
The Bible tells us to acknowledge God in some of our ways and then he will direct our paths, right? Somebody caught that. There was one of us that caught that. The Bible tells us to acknowledge God in how many ways? In all of our ways and he will direct our paths, right? Listen, trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your mama's understanding. Is that what it said? Lean not on your own understanding. Listen, in all of your ways, acknowledge who? Him. And he will direct your path. Literally means he will make your path straight. Oh, man. If there's anybody in this place who doesn't know which way to go, you find yourself at a crossroad and you're wondering, what do I do? Listen, I, I double dog dare you <laughs> to spend some time with Jesus just in prayer saying, Lord, you are my Lord. What do you want me to do? And watch him make your path. Watch him direct your steps and make your path straight. Can somebody say amen to that? So we know that that is that opposition with God. The world is teaching one thing. God is teaching another. The problem is when we think about what the world is teaching with self-sufficiency and self-dependency and pride, the problem is God hates pride. Now, in our home, we teach our children not to use the word hate very often. Like that's not something we just throw around. Our kids don't run around and say, I hate you. I hate We don't do that because hate is such a strong word. But they need to know that when you use the word hate, there's a gravity that comes with it. Listen to what I'm saying here. God hates pride. The book of Proverbs, chapter number six, says this. There are six things the Lord hates. Notice the Bible says it. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Listen to the very first thing. In the NIV, it says haughty eyes. In the New King James Version, it says a proud look. What is it saying? There are six things, seven things that the Lord hates. The first thing it lists, pride. God hates pride. Proverbs chapter uh, 16 says this, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. We've all heard it said this way, pride comes before a fall. Pride comes before a fall. Today, I want to give you a snippet of Nebuchadnezzar's story. And from there, we're going to find three ways that we can feed pride and three ways that we can combat pride and actually stay out of pride. Is that, is that okay today? Can we, can we dive into these things? Now, you guys know King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He is the king of the known world. This is a major power of the day. The children of Israel are now in captivity in Babylon. Uh, Pastor Zach did a great job giving us the historical context of this entire story. And we found out that that Babylon chooses young men from the countries that they overtake or bring into captivity to serve the king. This is how Daniel and his three friends are, are elevated in this story. But as we keep going in the story, we find out that there's a, a time where Nebuchadnezzar himself, the king of the time, he's actually reflecting on a dream that he had some time ago. And it's interesting because as I read some of this to you, you're going to recognize this guy sounds okay. Like he sounds like he understands who God is. But he's speaking now in hindsight, hindsight of having to be humbled dramatically in ways that I hope none of us ever have to experience. He's speaking now after he's had revelation of who God truly is. We don't know the exact level of depth with that relationship, but it's clear here that he had some type of understanding after all of this that God, the God of Israel, is the one and only true God. Listen to this, Daniel chapter number four. If you have Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can follow along on the screens. But I want to read to you five verses here. This is this letter that King Nebuchadnezzar wrote. Listen to this. Daniel chapter four, 
verse number one says this. To the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. He then says in verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid and I was lying in bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Anybody ever have a bad dream? My daughter, she's the best, man. She, she sometimes walks and talks in her sleep. And uh, <laughs> I, please don't consider me a bad father, but I get a kick out of it sometimes. <laughs> it is just hilarious because one day she came into mine and my wife's room and she came in and she's like, she's saying, it fell down. It fell down. And I wake up because I handle things at night. Stars on it in the day, but at night she does it. But I, I got up and I'm like, man, what happened? And we're trying to figure out what happened. And once I take her upstairs, like, show me what happened. She doesn't remember anything. She's like, what? I'm like, well, you told me something fell down. And she's like, huh? Nothing fell down, Dad. I'm like, oh, if you don't go to bed, you woke me up for this. <laughs> so we get her back in the bed. But you know what? With kids, sometimes you realize sometimes kids have bad dreams. And they come down there, I'm afraid I had a bad dream. Nebuchadnezzar is a grown man, the king of the known world. And he's saying, I had a dream that terrified me. Now, some of you are like, yeah, that's normal. To some people, it's like, wow, that's a big deal. What would make this king so afraid? I want to give you a little bit. I'm going to kind of paraphrase this story for the sake of time. Nebuchadnezzar the king has this dream. And in this dream, there's this giant tree that's growing. And he's kind of watching this. And this tree grows so high that its, its tops reach the heavens. And it's so wide. Its branches are full of leaves and full of fruit. And the animals of the land come and seek refuge and, and shade under this tree. And the birds of the air come and take nest. And, and the fruit of the tree is feeding all those who are around the land. This beautiful tree. And so far, the dream seems to be so good. But then in his dream, this messenger from heaven comes and says, hey, Cut this tree down. It's time to cut this tree down. In fact, cut the tree down, cut off all of its branches, strip off all of its leaves and its fruit, leave the, the roots and the, the stump there and protect it with bronze and iron, but cut the tree down. And it begins to shift a little bit in this dream because it's talking about a tree and it says, let the tree be wet with the dew of the heavens. Let it graze with the beast. Then it switches here and says, let his heart be changed from a man's heart to a beast's heart. Let seven times pass over him so that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and that he gives power to whomever he wills. This is the dream that the king has and it terrifies him. So what does he do? As a king, he calls all of his wise men in the land, bring all the magicians and the soothsayers and the wise people. And he tells them this dream and none of them can figure it out. Finally, he brings in Daniel. And I don't know what the delay was in bringing in Daniel because two chapters before, which was quite a long period of time, but for us, two chapters before, the king had a dream and Daniel was the only one who can interpret it. So it's interesting. He finally brings Daniel in and Daniel says this once he hears the dream. He says, pretty much, king, I wish this dream was for your enemies. Nevertheless, Daniel, being a man of integrity, he speaks truth to power. He stands up and he says, king, that tree you saw in your dream, that was you. 
that was you. And he pretty much begins to tell him, you're about to be cut down. You're about to be humbled. There's going to be a season of time where you'll be humbled in such a way you are going to have the heart of an animal. You're literally going to lose your mind. You're going to graze in the field. Notice the king who sits in the palace in authority and power is now going to be grazing in the field as if he was a wild ox. And the whole reason this happens, the scripture tells us, so that men, mankind could know that God is really in charge. He's the one that promotes. He's the one that puts people in authority. He's the one that puts people in place. How many of you know that dream was terrifying, but that interpretation was even worse? (laughs) Could you imagine? So the king hears this, and he's not mad at Daniel for being honest, but we're going to walk through a little bit more of his story because this story reveals that we can either choose humility or humiliation. One is up to us. The other one is at the hand of God. How many of you know I'd rather choose humility anytime, anytime, anytime than God having to humble me for walking in pride? So all of us fight the temptation to walk in pride. But what are some ways that we can feed pride in our lives? Let's talk about Nebuchadnezzar's story here. Ways that we can feed pride in our lives. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. By allowing prosperity and contentment to become a sense of entitlement. By allowing prosperity and contentment to become a sense of entitlement. Man, how many of you know we live in a great land? It's, it's amazing. Yeah, there's things that some of us don't like about America. There's things that if we could, we would change. I get that. But when you really step back and think about the nation we live in, we live in a great land. We have so many things at our, finger, our fingertips, at our disposal, so many things that if we went down a list comparing us and our normal lives to, to some in other countries, we are living way above many people in this world. But we have to be careful not to allow our, allow our pleasures and our contentment from the, the prosperity that, that we have in our lives to cause us to be complacent, to cause us to become proud And it causes us to all of a sudden focus our attention on those things. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar did. Verse 4 of chapter 4, he says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. He said, I was good to go. What does that mean for a king? There are no neighboring countries trying to come and invade. You're at peace in the land. Your economy is booming. He's saying, I was in the palace enjoying life. See, prosperity and contentment, they're not, they're not bad qualities. But if we're not careful, we begin to put our trust in prosperity. We begin to search for contentment, not godly contentment, but contentment in the sense that these things that I have inherited, these things that I've purchased, these things that I've made happen for my life bring such a contentment that we no longer look to God because we have it all ourselves. This is the position that Nebuchadnezzar found himself in. See, if we want to overcome pride in our lives, then we must continually turn from being self-sufficient back to being God-dependent. Number two, if we want to feed pride, this is how you do it, by taking credit for who we are and what we have rather than giving credit to God. Oh, man. I, I refer to my children often because they're, they're real-life examples for me because That's my closest discipleship relationship. 
my children, my family, we get the opportunity to sharpen each other. And as, as a parent, I get the opportunity to help shape their character and point them towards godliness. And it's interesting because as I'm walking with my children, I can see very clearly things that I, I recognize. Wait a minute, we have to fix this or we have to sh- smooth out these edges so that the hearts of our children can, can stay close to God. And, and my son, he's like I was when I was a kid. Sometimes he sees things and he, he really wants things. Like he sees something he's like, man, I want that or I want this and I want that. And we have to keep reminding him that responsibility is important. Take responsibility for what you currently have and maybe then you can have the capacity to have more. But it's interesting that with mankind, the Bible tells us this, that the eyes of man are never satisfied. How many of you have noticed that in your life? There's always something else that catches your attention. There's always something else. You get the car that you've wanted. Like, I just wanted this car and it has to be this make and this model and this color and this interior and it has to have this engine and it has to have that and this and this. And you get that and then you're driving down the road like, man, look at what I've done. I've worked hard. Look at what I've got. And then coming towards you on the other side of the freeway is the most beautiful vehicle that you've ever seen in your life. And you think, oh, but if I had that. Oh, man, that's the one I want, right? And all, all of a sudden, your heart and your eyes, your mind is fixed on that. We have to remember we have to remember that we are not people who are focused on the what's and the, the ifs and if we can have and, and if I had more of. We have to be dependent on God and not, not allow those, those pleasures and those, those, the prosperity and, and the blessing of God to cause us to be people who literally stray away from dependence on God himself. So taking credit for who we are and what we've done rather than giving credit to God. Well, I've noticed something. And uh, men, I'll be honest, when I was preparing this, I was thinking a lot about us. As men, it's hard because we've, we've said things about ourselves like we are the provider in our home. And it's interesting that we use that type of language. But if we're not careful, men, we begin to look at our careers. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to act like Nebuchadnezzar. We'll look around and say, look what I've done. And I've worked hard to get here. I have put in the sweat equity and I have stayed up late and I have and I have and I have, and look at me now. And listen, and pride is saying, oh yeah, look at you. You are great, aren't you? As it sneaks slowly into your heart. But remember, pride always comes before the fall. You see, there's nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, there's nothing wrong with studying hard. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious and wanting to be promoted and wanting to to continue to grow and increase your influence. All those things are great. But I love what Psalm 75 tells us. It says that promotion, exaltation comes from the Lord. Can I say that again? Promotion or exaltation or being lifted up comes from the Lord. Listen, he will even remove one and set him down so that he can pick another one up and put him there. If we lose the fact that what we have and who we are came from God, then pride sneaks in and that fall is coming. Please hear my words. As long as we walk in pride, the fall is coming. Nebuchadnezzar is a prime example of that. So we have to be people who don't take credit for who we are and what we have, but rather we give all the credit to God. Nebuchadnezzar said it himself. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And that's when the fall came. Number three. Well, let me back up here. I don't want to skip this note. I just happened to see this. A friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, he said something I thought was brilliant. He said, humility is simply a recognition of reality. God is God and you are not. I love that. I love that. It's a recognition of reality. God is God 
and we are not. That's simple. We have to be people who choose to walk in humility. Number three, ways that we can feed our pride. It's very simple. Having a perspective that we know what is best and we can choose our own way. <laughs> Having the perspective that we know what's best and that we should choose our own way. Listen to this. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 29, this is the same story with King Nebuchadnezzar. It says 12 months later. So this is 12 months after the vision, or excuse me, after the dream that's interpreted. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, so notice, 12 months. How many think that's a long time after an interpretation of you're about to be cut down? 12 months is a long time. A year, you know what goes on in a year? The king is probably like, okay, Daniel missed it. That's not what's going to happen. He's, it's just a weird dream. Like I, I had some bad Mexican or something happen. Like that, that wasn't. That wasn't of the Lord, right? Hey, I had a guy after first service, I said that about bad Mexican. He goes, hey, bro, I loved what you said, but uh, I want to correct something. And as a preacher or a teacher, you always, you know, try to be with humility. Like, yes, brother, what do you got? What do you got? And he goes, there's no such thing as bad Mexican. <laughs> I agree. I got to agree. So he was right on that. I humbly received that, right? So maybe you had too much Mexican. How about that, right? So either way, Nebuchadnezzar could have been at the place where he just thought, this 12 months, come on, it's a year later, things are good. So he's walking out and he's looking around at what he has built. He said, look at what I've done. And literally, the Bible tells us that as those words were coming out of his mouth, that's when this began to be fulfilled. Good night. We have to be people. We absolutely have to be people who have a perspective that God knows what's best, not that we know what's best, and that he has the freedom to choose our way. So quickly, I want to share with you this then. Now that we've talked about three ways to feed pride, what are some ways that we can guard against pride? Because somebody say amen to that. Like, yes, please tell me that. Listen to this. A couple of ways to guard against pride. Very simple here. Oh, let me tell you this too. I thought this was really cool. So King Nebuchadnezzar literally lost his mind. Literally. Some, some depending on who you read, they say it was about a seven-year period that he was literally out of his mind. And his own people drove him from the palace. They drove him from the palace and he began to wander around in the open fields, literally on his hands and knees with the heart of an animal, eating the grass. Now, can you just imagine me? The king of the known world is out of his mind and he's acting like an animal out in the field for seven years. Seven years. This is great, in a sense, humiliation. Great humiliation. I don't know about you, but I never, ever, ever in my life want to get to a place where God has to do that to me. Now, I'm not necessarily just talking about <laughs> mooing around like a cow and chewing grass. But just to have to be humbled in such a manner because I refuse to humble myself. I don't know about you, but when I read Nebuchadnezzar's story, I always think, Lord, what can I do not to be like that? And here's one way. We can guard our lives against pride by doing this. Number one, exalt the king of heaven and know that he is our source. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, at the conclusion of, of Nebuchadnezzar's insanity, we read this. It says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. You notice his tone now? He's not saying, look what I've done. He's saying, hey, from his hands and knees, hey, I get it now. I understand that you are the most high. No, listen to this, the words, the most high. Literally means the highest, highest. So Nebuchadnezzar was pretty powerful and influential. 
But for him to say, no, you are the highest of highest. You are the most high. Your kingdom never ends. It lasts for generation to generation. I read some documents on some secular reports of of King Nebuchadnezzar's writings from, from way back when. And it's interesting that as he wrote to a false god that he believed in back then, he would write things that would be asking for his legacy to endure. He realized that as a human, he would eventually die, but he was constantly writing prayers to these false gods. And he was writing these prayers asking, and and can my legacy and can my name, can it endure? Can it endure? So for him to get to a place where he realizes, no, it's your kingdom that lasts forever from generation to generation. That's a powerful place of reality for him where he understands it's not me who lives forever. It's not me who will be great forever. It is you who lives and will be great forever. So Nebuchadnezzar realizes this. And we have to do the same thing. We have to be willing to exalt the most high, the highest high, exalt the king of heaven and know he is our source. Number two, we have to acknowledge that God does everything right and his ways are always just. In verse 47 of chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar again says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify the king of heaven because, listen to what he says, everything he does is right and all his ways are just. (laughs) Isn't that a good revelation of reality? Number three, we have to be people who walk in humility. That same verse, Nebuchadnezzar again, I praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Here it is. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's a man speaking from experience. We have to realize that we are not God. Nebuchadnezzar caught this and it changed everything. I want to say about 15 years ago, I was listening to a good friend of mine now. He was teaching a message. I was sitting in his service and he shared something publicly. He said, you know what I do in the morning? He said, I try my best when I wake up, my alarm goes off, I reach over and turn it off. He says, I try to roll out of the bed in a way that I can land on my knees and I give honor to God and thank him. And man, that did something inside of me. Now, listen, I wish I could say, oh, for these 15 years, been perfect at it every day. It's not true. But listen, my wife's here. She could tell you, I try to start every day by just kneeling by my bed and just saying, thank you, God, that you kept me through the night. Thank you that you woke me up this morning and gave me another day. Why? Why? Is it formality's sake? So I got to have something I can come and tell everybody when I preach? No. It's because I really want to set my heart right before God and let him know if it wasn't for you, I'd be lost. If it wasn't for you, I could have died in my sleep and moved, went on. But you kept me while I was in my most vulnerable sleep. Sleep, Because I, I don't know about you, but anybody sleep deep in here? Some, some people sleep deep. <laughs> when I'm asleep, I mean, you're asleep and you're like, I just don't want, don't bother me. Like, I'm not on alert. Like, this is my time. But God keeps us through the night. Then he wakes us the next morning and gives us life. Why do I do that? I want to start the day with my heart in the right position. You are God. I am not. I am not. So when I think about this, anytime I get the privilege of sharing the word here at Grace or anywhere, I I like to pray for those that I get to share the word with. I was praying for us. And there's so many things, so many things that we fight against as humans when it comes to this pride issue. So many things we have to keep coming back to God and say, Lord, please just help us. Help us. But what I saw for our time now is simple. Just a simple response to God. This is what I learned about God. He already knows. Let that free you today. 
He already knows. So you think, oh, yeah, I, I got a bunch of pride in my heart, but God doesn't know about that. I better not tell him. <laughs> he already knows. You know what's beautiful about that? He still loves you. You think he loved Nebuchadnezzar? See, depending on how you were raised, you may be thinking, no, he didn't, because you see what he did to him. The man lost his mind. He was eating grass. I mean, no, he didn't love him. But remember, God corrects those he loves. Why? Loving correction helps you get back on course. See, that's why I'm excited when I'm, and, and when I'm sitting under the teaching of the word, or I'm reading the scripture, or whatever it is, and, and I feel like the Lord is highlighting something in my life, I don't feel condemned. I feel grateful. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that you would point that out so that I have opportunity to make it right. But how do you make it right? Simply confess and forsake. I love that. If you confess and forsake, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, you will find mercy. That's what I want us to do today. As I was speaking, there's definitely people in this room who felt like, oh, that's me he's talking to. And I'm so glad you didn't raise your hand. And then there's another group of you who felt like, oh, I'm so glad my wife came today because she needed this, right? <laughs> but either way, <laughs> either way, as we're here, we recognize, man, God, there's some of that in me. And I don't want to be like King Nebuchadnezzar on the front end. I'd rather be like him on the back end who look up and realize you are God and I'm not. Can we pray together all over this building? Just bow your heads. Now, listen, when I pray, don't let me pray alone. I want you to pray. Talk to God about your situation because you know what you're walking through. And as I pray, talk to him. If you have some things of pride that you've been dealing with, confess those things to him as sin. He says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now is the time. Don't go another day walking in pride. Because I believe if Nebuchadnezzar would have heeded Daniel's word and humbled himself, that maybe his story would look a little different. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we are so grateful for this opportunity to come together as a family, as the body, a portion of the body, to hear your word. And Lord, even as you're walking through, as we're walking through Daniel's story and we're hearing about pride with Nebuchadnezzar today, Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is, is showing us things, poking and prodding in the most gentle, loving ways, but also direct letting us know those are areas that we need to get out of our lives. So Lord, as we're here today, we pray and we do what your word says. We confess pride as sin. If that's you and you know, man, I've been walking in pride, just under your breath. You don't have to be loud enough so everyone can hear. Just say, Lord, I confess pride as sin and I turn away from that. Father, we confess pride as sin today and we choose to turn away from pride. Lord, your word says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So thank you, God, that as we're confessing, we also find your mercy. You're not going to give us what we deserve, but your grace instead gives us unmerited favor with you. And we're grateful. Lord, we pray that we would be people who are always humble and standing in awe before you as God. Lord, your word tells us that if we harden our heart in pride, we fall into trouble. Let that not be us. Let us be people who acknowledge that you alone give us everything because every good and every perfect gift is from above. And we are so grateful for those things. Lord, your word tells us that you mock the mocker, but you show favor to the humble. Lord, let us be those who walk in great humility. Let us always have a healthy fear of the Lord, standing in awe and reverence of who you are. And as we do so, Lord, your word is clear. If we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, in due time or at the right time, in the right season, you will exalt us. So I pray that over Grace Covenant today, that we would be a family 
full of people who walk in great humility, serving one another in love, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's clap our hands and let's thank God today. Amen.